Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Ascension Eve. Well, I suppose that's a bit strange. I mean, no one actually does well-wishing on the day of Ascension. Now, on Christmas or on Easter, of course, on those days we wish each other well. We say things like Merry Christmas or Happy Easter, but Ascension, to our mind, doesn't really warrant that. In fact, Ascension Day seems more like an insignificant bump in the road between Christ's resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. But Ascension Day is extremely important for us believers to remember. Because, for many reasons, we too, like the disciples, look to the heavens for our coming Lord. Like the disciples, we too are asked, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, what were the disciples thinking as they watched Jesus being lifted up into the clouds? While the scriptures do not explicitly tell us, it seems that we do have some clues from chapter 16 of John's Gospel. Before his crucifixion, Jesus said, Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Indeed, the disciples had given up all hope and all joy when their master had been crucified. But on that Easter evening, their Lord appeared before them. And this wasn't a ghostly Jesus. He was animate, he was vibrant flesh, he was warmed by living blood. And the disciples touched him, and they put their fingers into his wounds. They ate with him. They spoke with him face to face. The disciples could see Jesus like you see me. For 40 days, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I mean, think about that. What joy and comfort the disciples must have felt when they saw their risen Lord. But now, at the ascension, Jesus seems to be abandoning them. Jesus, their Lord and friend, cannot be touched or seen visibly anymore by them. And like orphans looking at a deadbeat dad, they must have felt abandoned and unloved by Jesus. And we too often feel this way. In earlier days and in happier times, our faith burned bright. Jesus felt so close and so loving and so near to us. The divine service seemed so heavenly, and our brothers and our sisters in the faith seemed like perfect angels. But now it seems that Jesus is absent and disinterested in us. Our faith seems more like a smoldering wick and a beacon of light. Perhaps it has become difficult to even make it to church on a Sunday morning. And perhaps those perfect angels, those parishioners you sit by in the pew, either next to you or behind you, have begun to show their sinful warts and other imperfections. So we look heavenward, wondering why Jesus has abandoned us. But we, like the disciples, are gently chastised by the words of the angels. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Look at the words that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah when he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. That was promised in the Old Testament. 
And then look at the New Testament. Look at the words that Jesus speaks to the, to the disciples and to you. Didn't he say to you, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Didn't Jesus promise that he would send the promise of my Father upon you? Of course, he did promise these things. But how? How is this promise effected? Well, Jesus promises that repentance and the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus does give the promise of his Father. He does still dwell with us. He sends his Holy Spirit upon his apostles and upon his pastors so that all people may receive the forgiveness of sins. Through the mouth of sinful pastors, the Holy Spirit calls, enlightens, and sanctifies you and every believer on earth. And through this divine comforter, we are kept with and knitted into Christ, who is our saving head. Through this Spirit, we are actually closer to Jesus now than the disciples were during Jesus' earthly ministry, because Christ lives in us through faith. We are clothed with him in baptism. We are fed with his very body and blood in the Lord's Supper. So why then do you look to the heavens when you should be looking at where Christ promised to be, his word and his sacraments? You might ask, well, what if I don't feel him? Well, don't trust that. Don't trust your changeable feelings. Trust in the promises which Christ has made to you and for your good. Now, another reason that some of us may be looking heavenward is impatience with the way that the world is. Like the disciples, we might even be asking the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, we're sick and tired of how this sinful, evil world works. There's corruption. There's false prophets. There's tornadoes. There's food shortages. There's unjust governments. There's two-faced neighbors. And a whole host of the world's deficiencies disturb us daily. Now, we don't have a problem saying that God the Father seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. And we confess that every single week. Indeed, we confess that every single day. The problem for us is that Paul says that Jesus rules over everything, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so we ask, well, what about this age? How come I can't see Jesus' rule over creation right now? Why doesn't he protect believers? And why doesn't he punish the unbelievers? These questions make us impatient for Christ's second coming. I mean, it's no wonder why so many well-meaning Christians have been taken in and disturbed and deluded by this rapture nonsense. They want the same thing that we want. They want, like us, to see Christ's visible reign on earth. And so we, like them, turn our eyes heavenward and demand that Christ comes back on our timetable. And so we hear those chastising words again. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Hasn't Jesus told you that it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority? Why do you seek to know what Christ or his heavenly Father has not and will not reveal to you? 
Don't you see that this impatience is actually a lack of faith? In this age of the church militant, we don't live by sight or by other proofs that Christ rules over all creation. On this side of the resurrection, the church of Christ will always be opposed by the church of the devil. And the Antichrist sneaks into the church, he seeks to set himself in Christ's seat. But do not let your hearts be troubled, because in this Christian church, we live by faith alone in the promises of our crucified and risen Savior. Now, living by faith alone in Christ's promise is impossible for the sinful mind to bear, even for us pious church-going people, because we are always, just our, it's our default position, we're always looking for something other than Christ's promise to trust in. The Roman Catholic looks to the Pope. The Eastern Orthodox member looks to his church's ancient liturgy. The Charismatic looks for the signs of the Holy Spirit in the speaking of tongues. Even Lutherans are tempted by this theology of seeing. And that's because we're sinners. But Christ doesn't show you that he reigns over all creation from the right hand of God. And why is the reason for this? Well, it's for the sake of the unbeliever. Jesus, in his great mercy, wants all men to be saved through the preaching of his word. If we see Christ coming in glory, then we know that it's the end of the lion and that he's come to judge both the living and the dead. And on that day, there is no hope or room for repentance or for faith. Peter, in his second epistle, writes about this merciful delay of our ascended Lord when he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, what does that mean for us who are already in the church? First, it means that we should pray. We should pray that the Lord would send harvesters into his field, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because how will the unbeliever come to repentance and faith unless he has heard the word? Faith comes by hearing. And second, repent. Repent of your impatience for Christ's second coming and trust in the promises of Christ because he will return in his own time. And during this wait, Jesus will preserve and keep you from Satan, from the world, from your own sinful flesh. Now another reason why we might look heavenward is when we are confronted by an open grave. Whether it is the loss of a loved one or the feeling of our own impending death, we all know what an enemy death is to us. We weren't meant to die, and so death scares us. We long to have Christ here with us. We long for him to bring his healing hands to our community. I mean, he healed the son of Nain's widow. So why isn't he here to heal and raise up my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter? This Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days in the tomb and he was rotting. He stunk. So why isn't he here to raise me up as I die? So we look heavenward, wondering if Christ will save us from this valley of sorrow and from this body of death. Once again, 
we are confronted with those words. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Didn't Christ promise a place for you in his heavenly kingdom? Doesn't he say in John's gospel, In my Father's house are many rooms? If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Even in the midst of your death, O Christian, you will live. Because your life has been hidden with Christ in God in heaven. No one, not even if all of hell rages against you, can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus Christ. But you will not only be alive in spirit. Your flesh shall rise on that last day, purified of all sins and stains. I mean, listen, isn't that the promise here that the angels tell them? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The voice of this one who ascended above all heavens will raise the dead here on earth, no matter how destroyed and scattered their bodies are. Everyone will stand before him, and all will be put under his feet visibly and unquestionably. And you, Christian, will be united with him in your body forever and forever. That's why Christ's ascension is for our sake. Because if Christ had not ascended, how could he, how could he descend to judge all flesh? And so when the grave attempts to devour you, cling to Christ's ascension, smile, laugh, and say, Where, O grave, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? For I am baptized into Christ. Therefore, Christian friends, do not turn your eyes heavenward, because you will find no answers and no comfort there. Rather, turn your eyes down. Turn your eyes down to the scriptures and read. Read of the promises that Christ has made to you. Then, turn your eyes to your neighbor and wish them a happy ascension day. Why? For Christ has been raised from the dead never to die again. He has been raised to the right hand of the Father to rule until everything has been put under his feet. And so may God grant you a blessed Ascension Day. Amen.